Hello everyone and welcome back to another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast. My name is Ben Jackson and I'll be your host. And as per usual, I am joined by Scott and Joris. Scott and Joris, how are you guys doing on this balmy September evening? Really enjoying the weather actually. Uh, hello guys, uh, hope everyone's well. And Oh, oh, hang on, what's that? What's that? Can you, is that the sound of a transfer window squeaking shut? Not yet, not yet. Just, uh, well, the door might be closing a little bit now, yeah. But uh, all good, all good here as well on my side. Um, beautiful weather here as well, which is a surprising thing to say. Yeah, definitely getting a bonus kind of end of September weird weather, uh, end of summer weird weather. And yes, as Scott mentions, the transfer window is still open for just a little bit longer in Belgium than some of the other countries. So there may be some more moves around the corner. A couple we might be able to talk about today because a couple of already gone through so yeah still plenty of movement in Belgium but let's get on to the action on the pitch just a quick roundup of all the scores and then we'll dive into the games individually on Friday evening Leuven beat Kortrijk 3-0 at home to ease some pressure on Mark Vlijs Circle Bouge kept up there Good start to the season with a 2-1 win over Westerlo. Mechelen left it late to be Erpen 1-0. Stanley A still can't find a win. They drew 1-1 at home to Molenbeek. Ghent on Sunday beat Club Rouge 2-1. Unchanceroise drew 2-0 with Antwerp. Genk dramatically drew 1-1 with Anderlecht. And then Charleroi drew 1-1 with St. Truden. So plenty of draws around the league this weekend. But the most convincing of all the wins um, was at the King Power, the Dendrief Stadium uh, in Leuven, where Leuven took on Kortrijk. First start for Yusuf Maziz after signing from Mets. He was straight into the side and he got involved quite early on. His set piece, uh, not early on, I guess, 40 minutes into the game, his set piece is headed home by Rika to make it 1-0. Second half, just a couple of minutes into that, Joel Shinktiene got his first goal for Leuven. Really, really kind of combative run from him and a nice finish. And you could tell the rest of the squad were quite happy to see him score. Six minutes later, Maziz got his first goal in Leuven colours when he made it 3-0. Really, really convincing win for Leuven. For Kortrijk, yeah, it's just... Kind of one step forward after that draw with standard Liège, another step backwards after this result, well and truly kind of comprehensively beaten in this one. They just really didn't look very good at all. They had a couple of shots, but just didn't really look potent enough. They've made a couple more signings this kind of today, I think it is. They've made a couple of signings, but it's still, still just not looking great for them at all. Whereas for Leuven, like I said, Mark Bryce was under some pressure. This definitely relieves some of that. Um, on him, they they had they kind of really needed to win this game to kind of ease the fans a bit. And then Peter Willems is stepping down as CEO of the club as well. So it feels like that result, him stepping down, they're kind of just trying to like tell the fans, no, no, we're listening to you, and like it's going to be okay. But yeah, I guess guys, sum it up convincing for Leuven, Paul once again from Kortrijk. Yeah, absolutely. I think it's important, obviously, to get that first win because the pressure really has been building at Dendreef. Um, supporter demonstrations, you know, uh, letters to the chairman asking for the CEO and the T1 to be sacked. And, you know, as Ben was saying there, the, the CEO, Peter Williams, has, has gone today. Um, 
you know, just a, a, a matter of a matter of days after that first win of the season. Um, pretty decent stuff from Leuven, actually. Um, they'll be relieved for that. And I think from Mark Bryce's point of view, who's still in post, and I, I think we'll stay in post for a bit yet now, um, is probably hoping that with the window about to close, that things will now settle down a bit for them. They are looking a little bit better, obviously. You know, they've got their they've got their new striker now. Um, they will hope that he can start warming up. Yusuf Maziz, brilliant pickup for them, already getting his first goal in his debut as well. Doesn't get much better than that. So things looking generally, you know, certainly from the outside anyway, quite a bit rosier for Leuven at the moment. And for Kertraik, it's, it's the same old problems. And we were laughing before we before we started recording, didn't we? That it, it kind of feels like Kertraik have been, you know, kind of uh, panic signing somewhat, you know, just trying to bring in anybody that seemed to be available or, or who fancied some game time. Um, difficult time for for Ed still at the moment because he's he's having to work with you know a number of new players, um, some of whom um, they're really stacking up in some positions where they arguably have too many players now. So from my point of view, I'm looking at it and starting to think how does Ed still keep these players happy, um, and how does he knit them together into a side that maybe start to get some results for them. But the other way of looking at it is the only way is up. Yes, and these signings will definitely need to help with that because there just was a lack of quality in that squad generally as well. The, another upside might be, okay, it's still a bit early to tell, but most likely uh, Kadri is staying, which did not seem likely at the beginning of the summer, I believe. So that uh, could give them a bit of a boost if they can, if some of these newcomers can add some quality nearing his level. They, they might still have a shot. It's really way too early to still to, to really write them off, of course. But yeah, it is really looking worrying for them. Yeah. Um, and uh, for, for Leuven, yeah, the, the, I also uh, agree with everything that you guys said already. Most things uh, have been sit- said in the past weeks already as well. But uh, I just wanted to point out that it's uh, nice for both Xingtian and uh, Maziz to get their first goals on their first starts. Xingtian, of course, already had a few uh, short uh, cameos as well in previous games uh, at the end, back end of last season and this e- beginning of this season. But this was his first start. And um, even though, of course, he's not uh, actually a striker, it's uh, it's it's good for him to to get that first goal as well, and um, yeah, for Leuven to get that first win as well, of course. Yeah, absolutely, absolutely. I think as well we mentioned about those signings coming, and I think I just went through and counted. They've got about eight eight wingers. Uh, Dion Denev can obviously play as a kind of a fullback or a winger, so he gives them three fullbacks, <laughs> <laughs> and then they've got what one, two, three, four centre backs. They just they they need defenders. Um, they've conceded so many goals this season already. They really, really do need some central defenders in there. But you're right, I think you're Kadri staying it it gives them that chance because they'll always be able to create something or score something because he he has already shown this season that he can score some goals out of nothing. He's creative as well. Like he's just a really, really good quality player in a team that is young. So there's some young talent there that could develop. But yeah, I mean there's a lot of kind of signings from past seasons that are still there that don't really seem to really fit into what they what they want to do or what they want to do going forward. So yeah, it's still a, a messy situation. They probably also still need another striker as well. Like they've only got two with the Im- injury to Ambrose. So there's still plenty of work to be done, but not a lot of time for them to do it, um, I think is the biggest problem for Kortreich. 
let's go to the Saturday games. I said Leuven's victory over over Courtois was convincing, but I also think this this next game, the Circle of Bruges victory over Vestalo, was actually quite convincing as well. Even though the scoreline doesn't really reflect how dominant Circle were, uh, took them until the just into the added time in the first half to get the opening goal. Lovely cross from Hugo CK. No one marking Kevin Denke. He heads it. Takes a little bit one of those like bounces before the goalkeeper. Uh, so slightly unfortunate for Gillikins that it just kind of bounces and goes over his hands. That makes it 1-0. And then, yeah, the second half, Scott, you kind of mentioned it. I'm sure you'll talk about it. The kind of Vesselo just looked really, really not not in it, not up for it. It was a really strange performance from them. They just weren't running as much as Circle. Like Circle out running them, out kind of battling them, out doing everything. Like the midfield, Van der Bruggen and Lopez were all over it. Gaboho was picking up the ball wherever he wanted. Um, Sommers as well. Like that central area in behind, kind of in between Madsen, Vanino, and the centre backs was just, it was so open for Circular to do what they like to do. There's a reason they have kind of Gaboho and Sommers in those areas. And Vesta just didn't really seem to know how to deal with it. But no one looked like they really wanted to deal with it. I think that was kind of a concerning thing. And you just look at the numbers for this, like Circular end the game with 21 shots to, to Veslo seven. They should have scored so many more goals than they did. Denki does finally get the second goal in the 69th minute. And this came after Felix Lemarchal came off the bench. And I was quite impressed with what I saw from him. Um, again, he kind of slotted into those those holes that were there and he just took advantage of all the, the space that he had. Almost scored, but it was really well blocked by, I think it was Padici. Uh, who blocked it, or Neustadt, one of the two centre-backs, was kind of throwing their body on the line. But he then sets up Denki to get Denki's second goal of the game. It could, yeah, it could easily have been 4-5-0. I think Lopez hit the bar, hit the post. There was a couple cleared off the line by Ryan, uh, Ryan Reynolds. <laughs> Brian Reynolds. Uh, yeah, <laughs> I mean, it could have been him playing the way this game was good. Uh, Veslo did actually then get one back in the 92nd minute. Uh, Matija Frigan with some nice feet, actually, and a finish that Rallison probably should have done better with. Um, I think he was just so... He probably just lost his concentration by then because he hadn't really had too much to do. Circle on the counter as well were just looking really, really good. Um, so, yeah, this... I think this one, it looks closer than it actually was. Uh, Circle were really good. Veselo, still winless, now second bottom. They've just signed a Ukrainian international. I can't get the name off the top of my head, but I'll quickly look it up before we get round to it. But a little bit more experience in the midfield with that young squad could be quite good. And they definitely need someone with a bit more defensive nous in there. So maybe he can come in and do a job. But another good performance from Circle another mm, performance from Vesterlo. Yeah, so easy for Circle. Uh, Westerlo were, I, I think the word's insipid, to be honest. They just kind of looked really uh, kind of flat and disinterested to me. And watching it, you were thinking, you know, Circle's the last side you want to play if, if you've got low energy levels, which I think is what it was. Um, they just, you know, things weren't clicking for them at all. And they, they were never, I don't think they were ever going to get anything out of that game. That's what I felt like watching it. Um, and, and with Circle, it felt like only a matter of time before they before they scored a couple. And yeah, I think they kind of took their foot off the pedal just a little bit, perhaps. Otherwise, this could have been a lot more than two, um, in truth. Westerlo just seem, I don't know, I, I think maybe maybe it's losing some players. And, you know, they, they've, they've spent some money um as we know this summer 
Um, and I think their poor start has surprised most people. Um, interesting to hear the owners at Westerlo coming out this week to say that they have had a meeting with Jonas de Rock and they've had a look at, at the poor start and they're, they're going to stick with Jonas because they, you know, they've been working together for a while and, and, you know, they have a good relationship. So they're giving him the benefit of the doubt at the moment. But we always know with these situations when the owners come out publicly and back you that the subtext is, okay, we'll stick with it. Just now but you know we have one eye over your shoulder which is which is always the case um i'm glad by the way just out of interest that they're not panicking because you know it'd be very easy to do that um with, with their disappointing start but i you know they have enough about them to uh, to to see them all right i think um circle um cruising on that's what i would say Yes, two teams in a completely different kind of form and, and feeling about the club at the moment, uh, for sure. Um, Sidorchuk is, uh, by the way, the name that Ven was be- has been looking for, the captain of uh, Dynamo Kiev, which actually sounds like a pretty decent signing for Dol, um, with all due respect. Westerlo, of course, an experienced head as well uh, in central midfield. They, If he still indeed has, a, has some kind of level, um, it, uh, then he definitely should be improving uh, um, the squad there and that uh, could do them the world of good as well if that would happen but yeah, otherwise that's five losses in a row now and uh, only one point uh, after six games um, and after games against already opponents uh, like Öpe and Mechelen you would think that before the start of the season that they should be uh, battling out for uh, the same spots, so uh, uh, that that's um, yeah, that are painful uh, dropped points already. But um, yeah, maybe no time to worry yet. Although one shot on target and uh, yeah, they scored their one goal in the final minutes. So that also says a lot uh, about uh, how the side has been going uh, so far. Circle Brugge on the other hand, yeah. Three wins in a row now. That's the first time since the beginning of 2022, if I'm not mistaken. Uh, January and February, I believe. And um, yeah, Denki adding two goals. Uh, I should have made. Uh, I should make more um, jokes about how difficult he, how many difficulties he has uh, with scoring sometimes, uh, like I did last week. <laughs> but, uh, yeah, uh, and he's already on four goals now, I believe, as well. So, uh, no, he's actually uh, not doing so bad in the stop scoring uh, list. Yeah, he gave me some fantasy points this weekend, so I'm more than happy with uh, Mr. Kevin Denke. Yeah, I see where we're talking about Kevin Denke, guys, actually. There's a there's a Circle fan, I can't remember his name, uh, who crops up on social media sometimes. I need to go and check this later. Who has this thing that he loves to do uh, when Big Denks scores. Every time he tweets a picture, and it's a brilliant picture of Denks actually standing in a beach somewhere and he's got a white linen shirt open and you know he's got his ripped chest out and his shorts you know standing there with his sunglasses in his head and he has the phrase another one with an exclamation mark on it which is, which is becoming you know one of the great unknown uh belgian football memes i think you know so whoever's behind that um keep it up <laughs> <laughs> and, and also, still on the topic of Kevin Donke, that's how he should pronounce it. That's how he pronounced it himself a few weeks ago, I believe. So I'm sorry for having butchered that. And I fear we will be doing that as well. So I'm already sorry, Kevin, or Kevin, maybe even in that case as well. But um, yeah, <laughs> sorry, Kevin uh. Denke, Donke. See, I hear <laughs> it's difficult to get it out of your heads once it's stuck. But um, I stand corrected. <laughs> uh, and I feel like. 
he will be one of the many in this uh, podcast, I fear. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he's not the first. He definitely won't be the last. Although I feel like if I try it, it's just going to sound like donkey. And I feel like that's, <laughs> that's, that's, that's probably more offensive than actually trying to pronounce it properly. That, that's um, probably what he's trying to avoid with, with that. Yeah. But, uh, maybe <laughs> in this case, it backfires. Yeah, well, he's he's definitely not. He's not one of those. He's, he's yeah, he's showing some quality this season. And yeah, stepping in where where Raiders uh, had to step out. So, yeah, long may it continue. Another striker who's, yeah, he's starting to find his feet in the Pro League. He's he's had some good play, like linking and that, but he needs to score goals in order to kind of really prove himself to the fans. And that's Leon Lauerbach in Mechelen. They hosted Erpen, and it took them a while to get the goal in this one. Mechelen were, uh, sorry, Erpen were defensively resolute, sticking that kind of, that block of five at the back and then trying to, hunt on the counter-attack played it out from the back quite nicely I have to say I think you can tell <laughs> there's a side there that are actually drilling it and drilling it well um Kofeld's yeah you can tell they know where their angles are there's another team that are doing this that I want to speak about later but yeah I think open you could kind of see they they kind of they're getting used to that and they, there were times they played it around Mecklen and out and I think that's fine if you're playing no offense to Mecklen they're not like a club Bruges that are really going to punish you if you do nick the ball back um, so you can do it against Mechelen, but maybe don't do it against Club Rouge because they just got completely battered by that last time. But it looks pretty decent. Um, but they couldn't really create too much going forward. Mechelen, on the other hand, they were creating a lot. Second half, um, Sandy Walsh comes off. Rafik Belhadi comes on. I think that was the right move from Stephen DeFore. I think he realised that they're going to have the majority of the ball. Why not have a more attacking fullback than Walsh? He didn't really need to be defending uh, Van Genechten too much uh, going back the other way Patrick Fluke on the bench Scott was unhappy <laughs> about this but he did eventually come on uh, in the 63rd minute uh, for Mori Konate so again yeah fair play I think we have to say that to Defoe like all of his substitutions before the goal were attacking like he really did try and try and get the win in this one it was Begali with the cross that led to the goal his cross Lauerbach's header I think Stalina could have done a little bit better um, I think he the, the bounce in kind of the bounce of the ball kind of disrupted his his technique in terms of the save. But I'll leave that to other people who are much more kind of educated when it comes to goalkeeping than me. But just by looking at the eye line, uh, the the kind of the first eye view, it looked like he could have done a little bit better. Mechelen hold on, thanks to that goal, they get the win. They jump up into fifth place. Everything's looking a little bit better for Stephen Defour. His gut, his striker scoring, and I think. Scott, that's just kind of what Mecklen fans want to see, isn't it? Their, their striker putting the ball in the net. Yeah, that's been one of the problems, actually, really, you know, kind of finding a solution to that. But that's that's three wins in the bounce now uh, for Stephen DeFore. So, you know, happy days, um, signs of an improvement as well. Um, squad starting to look a little bit better. Um, you know, Ben was talking about the substitutions and I think Stephen DeFore now has some options, whereas before he didn't, it's just about keeping everybody fit. Uh, obviously, Mori Kanate is still um, working up to, to, to full fitness. Um, you would imagine he he will, you know, complete most games when he when he's fully fit, uh, depending on tactically how they want to kind of set up. He's an important one. Yeah, um, 
Patrick Flock, obviously, I was, you know, yeah, I was, I was not happy that he wasn't starting because I thought, on the basis of his of his performance um, on his debut, then you know he really should have been thrown right in there. But I do understand why he wasn't. Interestingly, he did he did make quite a big difference when he came on again. Um, so again, that's maybe another one where they're just wanting to take it a little bit easy to, to allow him to settle. But things generally looking a lot a lot more rosy from from a, a, a Malinois perspective. And of course, they brought in uh, Elias Cabo's come back to the club today, um, which is uh, very encouraging for them. And he had very warm words about you know how how much he was looking forward to kind of coming back. And I understand that that was quite a difficult transfer to complete. One they'd been looking for uh, for a number of weeks, but. Um, the finances were an issue and ultimately it was the player who I don't know the details but my understanding is that um, Cabot has actually compromised on you know what was originally an offer in order to kind of get this deal over the line um, he, he was talking today about how much he's enjoying looking forward to playing at the Actor de Caserne again because when he left of course the what is now the main stand uh, effectively wasn't there in its current form at the time as well. So he said he's really looking forward to getting out there and getting stuck in in front of that. And um, that's that's an important one for them because he's always been um, he's always been a big a big Mecklen boy, as they say. Um, really enjoyed his his time there. Spent a long time there, of course, before going to Italy. So um, he he adds a bit more depth at the back as well. So yeah, three wins in the bounce, and it's it's funny uh, how how quickly things can change when you know some things start to start to go your way um, Florian Kofeld was a little bit frustrated this week on the touchline I was watching him kind of quite a lot and I think he just felt they allowed this game to kind of get away from them um, didn't really make the best of their their, their opportunities um, either. One of the most difficult places to go, of course, as we know, the actor de Caserne, although um, Mecklen have been inconsistent for what feels like ages now, um, it still remains one of the hardest places to go, and they, they are one of those sides who, who remain generally very strong at home, but I don't think they have anything to fear. They've, they've started much better, as we've been saying, than anyone expected, and um, their signings seem to to, you know, be, be adding a little bit of um, quality to, to what they've got there. And they look like quite a well-coached side, as Ben was saying at the moment. So they, they, they will be okay. Yes, and these three wins are now row. That's the first time since October 2021, Woo-hoo! if I'm not mistaken, <laughs> as well. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that's been a while. But, uh, and that was a really big streak, if I see that here as well, like uh, it was more than that. Um, that was a streak of seven games, I believe, that they did not lose and uh, six wins in that. But okay, I'm uh, that diverting here. Uh, but yeah, the, on the other hand, they needed 22 shots uh, to, to get over the line, to get that one goal over the line, uh, which means they actually also barely got more uh, expected goals in comparison, uh, like 0.5 extra, uh, half a goal extra in those 22 shots uh, against Oeuvre. Uh, I mean, that, that has l- less than half those, uh, this amount of shots, uh, which is nine, uh, and had uh, well, a reasonable XG out of that, at least a little rate there, I suppose. But nonetheless, uh, Michele get the points deservedly in the end as well, although Oeuvre started really well. In this game, uh, and but yeah, they, they had less chances, but they they were quite good chances, but they still missed them, which is also not <laughs> encouraging either, of course. But okay, on the other hand, not that much to worry about for them um, as as of now. They're still in a good place, um, which goes for both sides, I guess. Yeah, 
No, I think they'll both be reasonably happy with the start that they've made. One side that's really not happy with the start they made is Standard Liège. Fans were, yeah, pretty keen to let 777 know how they felt with their little banner before the match. Well, not little banner, big, <laughs> big banner. Um, they were even angrier 20 minutes in when uh, Mahtar Gay made it 1-0. He was proving a little bit of a handful. Ngoy brings him down. Uh, just on the edge of the box. Javier Mercier, he may not be fully fit, but he can still put a ball in the box. It helps that no one's really marking Mahtar Gay, who's a giant anyway. Uh, he heads it in from close range to make it 1-0. Standard don't waste too much time getting back into it. About five minutes later, they themselves get a free kick on the left. Ball comes in, bobbles around a bit, hits Bacardi in the chest, falls to Kanga, Kanga volleys it in. Bacardi's been given the assist, which is ridiculous because the ball literally just hit him. <laughs> Uh, he didn't know anything about it. Um, and pretty much that's how this game finished. It finishes 1-1, but Molenbeek, my word, in the first half, they had their chances yeah. on the counter-attack. But the decision-making was so, so poor. There were so many times they had a 3-on-1 or yeah. a 3-on-2 and the final ball just wasn't played correctly or was played behind someone or something like that. And yeah, I think Claudio Capaca must have been, or Kakapa must have been just tearing no hair out because obviously he doesn't have it but if he did it would have t- torn it all out anyway because they just wasted so many of these chances on the break that they really really could have punished Standard um, Standard did have some chances in the second half but could not find any further breakthrough finishes 1-1 they at least have three points to their name but they will come from draws it's yeah it's kind of not looking great but they have made a couple of signings Isaac Hayden from Newcastle has joined on loan Musa Gineppo is back with them as well uh I'm a bit of a Musa Gineppo fan um he was always in my fantasy football team when he was at Southampton for absolutely no reason uh it made absolutely no sense to have him in there but we had him in there anyway um good to have him back he will add a bit more kind of maybe some excitement to their style of play be interesting to see how he he fits in same with, with Hayden, um, that slightly more defensive-minded midfielder. Um, yeah, they're not like... I don't know if they're going to make a massive, massive difference to the squad. Um, Hayden maybe will in terms of kind of just bringing some more quality to central edge. Gineppo, yeah, I mean, he's, he's going to be he is quite an exciting player to watch. It'll be interesting to see where he kind of fits into their formation and stuff like that. But yeah, I think in this one, standard probably should be quite happy with the draw. Uh, obviously not within their circumstances, but just because of the amount of chances Molenbeek had in that first half to really kill the game off. Yeah, this is this is kind of interesting, actually. You know, Ben was talking about the missed opportunities of, of, of Molenbeek's, and when I was watching this game, I was tearing my hair out at a few points, you know, where they had, you know, almost one-on-ones. Uh, there's, there was a particular uh, one where they were almost through, and just at the key moment, um, the, the, the pass that should have went out wide left to the left, can't remember who it was. He decided to take a, you know, just just terrible decision making. To be, it was so obvious the way it should have got very frustrating to watch. Um, I think Standard will take a point all day long from this game. I think because of the situation they're in, but I do feel that Standard only got a point because of uh, Molenbeek mistakes really, uh, rather than anything they created themselves, um, such as the situation they're in. But since this game, things are looking a little bit more rosier for standard. You know, Ben was saying Musa Gineppo's coming in. Um, it looks to be confirmed this evening that Kamal Sowa is going to be coming in. 
Um, that's not been confirmed yet um, by the club, certainly, but it looks very, very close now. So from an offensive point of view, they, they have some options that they didn't have a week ago, which kind of change things somewhat, um, particularly if they if they come good and they start to click for them. Um, a little bit of chat today that uh, Karlofkins might be switching or wanting to play a 4-3-3 um, of some kind, and this is the reasoning behind some of the personnel coming in. So it'll be interesting to see what he does. Obviously, with the international break coming up, he's got a little chance to kind of ponder this and, um, you know, chat to some of these players and and, and consider, you know, where they're going to pick up when they leave off after the international break. Um, but yeah, standard fans being uh, as patient as they can be, but you know, just politely reminding everybody of of, of the reality going on in the background. Um, I, it's a difficult one for them because there is now a lot of pressure on these players that have come in over the last twenty four hours to to make quite a significant difference, kind of uh, quickly. And it's going to be be interesting to see see if they can do that. Molenbeek did deserve more from this game, however, and I suppose you. You know, if I was Claudio, then you know my message to that team would have been: you've got to take your chances, guys, because you know when you come to places like this, you don't you don't get many. And actually, because standard are are pretty poor at the moment, then um, that, that that's as good a chance as they're going to get to go to a place like Sklis and 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 win. But they 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 couldn't do it. No, they couldn't indeed, and uh, yeah, mainly because of wasting some the promising counterattacks. Uh, well, as you all guys already discussed as well, I think if one team could win, it was probably them. Um, but yeah, I'm also wondering where this play does play Standard since uh, Molenbeek lost big time to the to the two bigger clubs, you would say, in the league, and uh, they they did win against the other ones uh, so far. And now this is the first draw, so that's uh, an open question there. Uh, but uh, some good signs in the end, I guess, though, for Molenbeek, of course, that they got that uh, point here. They Before the season, they would definitely uh, have signed up for that. Um, also, Maktargei got his first, got off the mark, so that's uh, probably um, a good one as well, even though he was somehow able to to hit a ball in with three defenders around him. So that's also <laughs> a bit of a worrying sign for Standard at the same time. Um, yeah, but yeah, like and like I said, they should have done a bit better with with the counters uh, as well. Uh, some of them, they yeah, they they just wasted them completely. For Standard, yeah, the, indeed some banners uh, going on, and uh, but on the. On their hand, still it's still relatively quiet. I feel in the stands um, so far for the results that are they are having, and, and the club that they are, which is maybe in itself a worrying sign that it's still reasonably reasonably calm, or the protests are still within limits, which is which is of course a good thing on the on the on the, on, the, on the many levels, but uh, not what you would expect. Um, and um, yeah, the, the series also keeps on going. That's now thirteen games uh, without a win. Uh, I will uh, keep on saying this stat every week. I think as long as it's going, it's just so so such a weird stat to have to mention. That's why um, they're also still one of the uh, the four teams in the end that are still winless. Um, which I find that's in the more general remark. A lot of teams actually after six games already, well five or six games, uh, that that are still winless. That's uh, yeah, I find that a very <laughs> remarkable large number of teams. 
Um, Van Hoesen is not bringing as much as he should, um, and like the the worst sides of his game are taking the, the, are taking over instead of the, the the qualities he we we all remember at least from him. Um, but regardless of how high you would rate him before, like he, at the moment he's definitely not at the level that he used to be before. Maybe he just needs a bit of the more time as well. But um, yeah, and also another stat that keeps on going, which is also still a bit of a weird one, is the, the conceding one goal per game stat for Standard. Standard, uh, yeah. So the first, uh, the fifth time out of six games that it's the 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 first that, that they concede first, which already makes it difficult to actually win a game. That explains part of that uh, other stats there um, right away, of course. And they have the worst attack in the league uh, by numbers, by by goal scored at the moment as well. That's uh, an additional one. Although Kanga also uh, got his first goal of the season and got off the mark, so maybe that that will help them in the longer term as well. Um, but. Yeah, definitely a lot of work to do. They are adding a few players and um, a few, in theory, quality players. But um, yeah, let's see what they can still bring at the moment and how much time they will need. Um, that, of course, has a few weeks to to get them ready now as well. Yeah, I think they just need they need to create more chances as well. That's been that was kind of plain plain to see during this game. And um, I mean, at least they uh, they somehow made a. a a fair profit, you could say, on Aaron Donham. I was quite surprised by the mm. amount that Leeds were willing to, to pay for him. I was like, have they? Well, I don't. I don't want to like, like, like rip him to pieces or anything like that. Like, I think he's he's a decent player, but I don't wouldn't say him as like league and quality. So I was quite surprised to see that. Although <laughs> our good friend Simon Ellisor is now starting for Mets. Uh, I feel like I'm going to be updating people on Simon <laughs> Ellisor because I just I just can't get my head around what the guy we saw at Sarang now suddenly playing, starting in French football. It's just wild for me. Uh, so he started for Mets, but I mean, then Teddy Toomer is ripping that league apart. So maybe, maybe it is like, it's a, maybe it's the worst league. <laughs> <Yeah>. um, <laughs> who knows indeed. Uh, so yeah, no, I think, Yes, that the the situation Sandman is just a little bit weird. Uh it's just a bit odd and you're never too good to go down. But I think yeah, you're actually right about those those all those sides that haven't won a game. It's just I I can't quite get my head around if it's a good thing or, or not like or if it's a really, really bad look for the league. But I think it just reflects what we all thought when we came into the season that some of these sides just were not ready for the start of the season and those sides are probably the ones that are struggling at the moment. One side who definitely are ready or have been ready for the start of the season, are Ghent. They hosted Club Rouge uh, in a pretty raucous atmosphere on Sunday afternoon. Bruges brought uh, Boyata, came in for Yorni Spielers as the starter. And yeah, defensive, they didn't look great. Uh, Onyadika lost the ball in midfield. It eventually comes to Kuipers on the left. His ball in should be cleared. It's kind of half cleared by Mechler and Boyata, but... They just look at each other. Mignolet looks at them. Hong just takes the ball and puts it in the back of the net to make it 1-0 to Ghent. Uh, Club Bruges then equalised just before half-time with Van Aken heading, uh, really nice finish actually, heading across Nardi into the bottom corner and then giving it to the Ghent fans <laughs> behind the goal. He'd regret that, I think, three minutes after half-time when Tisa Dali found Hong again with still a little bit of work to do, but he smashed it into the bottom corner to make it 2-1 to Ghent. Orban was on the bench, uh, but he came on the 64th minute alongside Noah Fadiga. Tisa Dali came off and 
Hong also had to come off as well. Fadiga picks up a yellow card. When was his first yellow card? I think it was in the 78th minute. He gets a yellow. Three minutes later, he gets another yellow and gets himself sent off, heaping all the pressure on to Ghent. Uh, Omri Gendelman comes on for Hjul Saga. Gift Orban, who's only been on the pitch for 20 minutes, is off. Candus comes on. Um, although to be fair to Orban, I, I don't know. You guys may have seen different. I don't think I don't see him complain or anything. I think he understood the situation. And to be fair, when Hong scored the first goal, he was the first person to celebrate with him as well, despite being on the bench. So I don't know. We've we've had some. There's lots of mixed like about his personality and stuff. But from what I see on the pitch, I don't I haven't seen anything that suggests that he's like a really bad egg or anything. Um, he obviously did want that move, but it looks like that's not happening now, which is really good news for Ghent. They hold on uh, thanks to a couple of good saves from Nardi, a couple of good defensive blocks from the defence as well to win 2-1. They go top of the league. Big Hine absolutely loved this at the end, giving it the big <laughs> one. Um, he was happy. Dylan not so happy. But yeah, no, a, a good game to watch. Um Frustrating for club, I guess, at the end of the day, when that they couldn't kind of take advantage of the ten men. Yeah, it's it's always quite an enjoyable fixture to look forward to this one in Belgian football because you know a lot of the spice kind of precedes it. You know, I, I certainly kind of always look out for the for the dates of this one. Um, Ghent were really good, I have to say. I thought they were really up for this. So whatever was said or whatever music was played in the the, the dressing room before kickoff uh, certainly did the trick. Uh, I thought collectively they were they were excellent, uh, particularly at the back. Actually, I think I felt they defended really well in this game. Um, Watanabe, Turneriga, and um, uh, who's it? Yeah, Nurio, uh, really really good. Um, really strong stuff, and e- even the midfield kind of you know dropping a little bit deeper when they needed to collectively as well. You know what I mean? Just to kind of close those lines and, and make it difficult for Bruges. I, I was I was really impressed by them, and I think if they can play anything like this most weeks, they're going to be you know a hard a hard side to beat. Um, I think the fact that both Orban and Kuipers are still there. Uh, and look like they're still going to be there when the window closes is is potentially significant now because it allows the club to say to them, look, okay, we don't know what's necessarily going to happen in January yet, but let's give this a really good go. Let's see what we can do this season because I think there was a feeling that certainly one of them was going to go. I think Sam Barrow coming in as a new majority shareholder has changed the picture somewhat in terms of um, their, their, their transfer business and what they, they, they may have had to do. Um, but, you know, there's some key players there that have really kind of... Um, it been quite impressive, I think. You know, obviously, um, young Archie Brown um, just come in. He's he's looking really good, actually. It looks like he's been there for a while. Um, you know, Tournariga's looking, you know, pretty solid most of the time, I think. Um, Hong had a great game, actually. Both his goals were really kind of fantastic finishes. Um, the, the, the squad are performing consistently at the moment at quite a good level to such an extent that, you know, we don't mention Tarek Disadali as much as we used to, and we all know what a brilliant player he is, you know, so Orban, Kuipers and Tisadali, uh, Hong in there playing in the hole sometimes, you know, can play in a number of positions. Hein must be looking at this at the moment and to a certain extent licking his lips a little bit and thinking, okay, let's, as I was saying, let's give things a really good go here and see what we can do this season because because um, I said during the preview that I felt if they could keep uh, the 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 kind of the 
the strongest players, if you like, offensively in this side and not lose any of them, then there was the potential for them to 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 do something quite interesting. So we'll we'll see if that kind of continues because they're going to maintain need to maintain that level of intensity and motivation most weeks, not not just against uh, one of their big Flemish rivals. Yeah, a lot of spice in this game for sure, on and over the field. In the first half, I was still I was even saying still uh, Nardi that was uh, looking shaky, which. I'm not taking back that that in the first half he did, but in the second half he he turned into a savior of Hint as well, especially towards the end. uh, There were a few good saves needed, despite indeed Hint defending quite well overall, but uh, still there were a few good chances for Klubigian that he kept out. Um, uh, The main player that stood out, out from Hong, of course, with, uh, with his two goals, um, they will miss him for sure as well. Now he's off to the Asian Games. He might not be back. Um, if Ideally for him, uh, if he doesn't want to do his military service, uh, not before the middle of October. So that's that's going to be a miss for them, if that w- would be the case as well. Um, at, uh, the other player that stood out was uh, Archie Brown for me. Uh, well, more like a welcome to the league as well, <laughs> I guess. Uh, and uh, I did not uh, know him too much before this game uh, and did not see too much. But um, yes, uh, he, he performed really well here. Definitely. Um, yeah. Um, the other things that I had on Gint have already been mentioned. Um, and for Club Brugge, yeah. My, my, main dif- my main worrying point for them is still like that defense. And it looks like they're actually not doing anything about it, uh, not bringing any recruitments in, at least already not for the Conference League group stages. Uh, they're, they're, it's already too late. Um, if, even if they would still get someone, uh, they, they can't put them on the list anymore for Europe until uh, the winter window, of course, at least. Um, but yeah, and that that proved a bit in this game as well. Um, and then of course there was indeed the the the, the banter from the fans against Van Aken first, then Van Aken shutting them up with with scoring that goal and giving giving <laughs> a bit much back. And then at the end of the game, uh, the the hint DJ playing uh, the song uh, Arrivederci Hans as well. So like yeah. Yeah, that that topped it off. <laughs> no, but... That's that's the that's the kind of banter we need a bit more, I guess. It's it's still it, it's it's harmless, but it's it's fun, I guess. <laughs> yeah, no, absolutely love that. And it's it's cool. You you both mentioned Archie Brown um, there, and it's the thing I quite like about just like if you look at what hap- what like Archie Brown's kind of career is like. He's obviously comes through the Derby youth system and then goes to Switzerland and plays for Lausanne mm-hmm. Sport, and I, I quite like it when. It's not something that happens quite a lot when English players, especially young English players, go abroad to play. Um, it, yeah, it's really, really rare. So it's cool to see here he's gone there now. He's in Belgium. Like he's getting kind of a better footballing education all over the world. And he, yeah, not over the world, over Europe, I guess you could say. And yeah, he he's, he looks quite decent. I think see on see on Archie Brown's uh, talking about Archie Brown there, um, Ben. That 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 point about you know young English players, you know, kind of taking a leap overseas is is, is really interesting you know I, I would talk to a couple of agents that I know a little bit recently and they've been emphasizing to me recently that a lot of clubs now not just in Belgium but but across Europe are, are, are looking at top talent um, at, in academies you know I suppose somebody like Isaac mm-hmm. Price obviously who's gone to standard is a, is a good example of that um, you know players who are coming to the end of those contracts and don't have a route into a senior side in English football and know that and I think smart agents clearly are saying look um, go and play at you know this reasonably big club in Belgium 
or in Switzerland and, you know, play regular football and develop as a player and as a person. And I think we're going to see a lot more of that. I think that's, you know, we're, we're, it's the early days of that, but certainly in Belgium we're starting to see to see signs of that. And Belgium, I think, will, will almost certainly be one of the top destinations for a lot of these players now for, for reasons that we wholeheartedly agree with. Yeah, I mean, look at Matthew Healy uh, from Varane's. Obviously not, not English. Uh, he's obviously Irish. Don't want to kind of... <laughs> claim him uh, i'm sure the irish <laughs> sick of us english trying to do that uh, but yeah no, he's obviously come from the ipswich youth academy was at cork city and then he's he's come over and he's playing really really yeah. well down there so yeah i think price mundell there's a couple of these guys that are doing it cameron humphreys was one of the kind of one of those that did it recently obviously they used to be the the united yeah. antwerp link but yeah humphreys did it as well um berahino came here to try and kind of revitalize his career so yeah this, this is a pathway um, there's definitely definitely a pathway over him Archie Brown yeah he's definitely I feel like he's kind of yeah got an interesting career ahead of him um, aside that a very would probably sign players like Archie Brown or people like that is definitely Union they hosted Antwerp uh, looking for some revenge potentially I don't know after Antwerp won the title instead of them to deny them a their kind of Hollywood fairy tale historic ending and it got off to the best possible start for Union. Terrible start for Antwerp. They just did not deal with an early cross into the box. Eventually, a uh, penalty is awarded to Union. Um, after I can't remember who brought... Someone got brought down in the box. It was an obvious penalty. Like, Butte ran into someone. I think it might have been Delat or Koulibaly. And then, yeah, from the result, a penalty it was won. Koulibaly Ontero. That's uh, what you, that was the the you want. <laughs> yeah. I just could, I can remember I can picture what happened. I just couldn't remember who was involved, but yeah, it was a nightmare, nightmare start for Antwerp. Dennis Eckhart steps up. Uh, he makes no mistake from the spot to make it one nil. Antwerp then pushing for an equaliser. Ball to the back post finds Balikwisha. Decent save from Maurice and a decent block from the defence, but the, it falls to Sam Vines, who I I don't know who told him to shoot, why he thought he should shoot, but he did, and it was a ridiculously good strike into the top corner. Fantastic goal from Vines. Unfortunately, his game was over six minutes later as he had to limp off injured. Absolute crisis at left-back for Antwerp at the moment. Or They have signed Vindal from Ajax, um, so hopefully he'll slot in. And yeah, Joris, I'm sure you can give your take on, on the Vindal Avia signing because yeah, I think you're pretty accurate on that one. Um <laughs> Into the oh no, before, just before the second half, Antwerp then do take the lead. Forty-three minutes, uh, corner comes in, flicked onto the back stick where Ekelen Camp is there to nod in to turn it around for Antwerp, and that's pretty much how it stays right until the eighty-sixth minute. Union have had about twenty-four shots at this point. Expected goals up at three. Um, they get a penalty in the eighty-fifth minute. Nielsen, who's come on because Eckhart has come off, Nielsen steps up. Uh, smash it, Boutique almost gets there, uh, but it's hit with such power that it finds the back of the net. Van Bommel gets booked near the end. Everyone's kind of getting booked and cards flying around everywhere. Uh, <laughs> but it's, it finishes 2-2. Entertaining game. Um, not the result either side would have wanted, given that they kind of both had a foothold to take control of the game. But it was probably a fair result, I guess, on reflection, although Union will point to their chances and be like, if we'd made the most of these, we could definitely have won. I thought it was very interesting listening to Alexander Blesson afterwards uh, in his team talk um, 
on on the pitch, uh, which the cameras managed to pick up, um, social media sharing that a bit of it uh, over the last couple of days, where he actually seemed, you know, kind of quite relieved in the end to kind of get the point. Um, they, you know, as Ben was saying, they had plenty of opportunities actually to win this game um, and kind of could have. But I think in the end, there was almost a sense that part of this game got away from them a little bit and actually getting a point out of it was a pretty decent result for them um, in the end. That that was more or less what he said to his players and that, you know, his exact words were, I'm proud that you managed to get a point out of this in the end. I think um, there was a feeling that... Um, Although there was some disappointment in the squad, I was looking at the the faces of the players during the huddle while while Blessing was talking to them, and some of the players, you know, did did look kind of quite down. Um, but I think that says more about the the morale and spirit in that camp at the moment, and that they're you know they, they don't like not winning games. Union now, um, you know, regardless of who their coach is, you know, so this is a side who who you know are, are becoming serial winners and kind of getting used to that. So it's interesting seeing them kind of adjusting really more to the to the ebb and flow of, of, of big games like that. I find that kind of quite interesting, particularly now that this is largely a new side as well. There are so many um, new players, um, you know, uh, in this union team as well that are kind of gelling together. And yet again, I suppose, we don't need to emphasise this, but um, this is, you know, one of the best sides for recruitment in Belgium, if not the best. And, and they look to have kind of pulled off what we were all wondering whether they could do. And the players that come in do seem to be gelling. Some, um, some obviously, literally just in the door um, a few days, um, so won't even have settled yet. But they have quality and depth in there now. And Alexander Blessing actually saying a few days ago as well that he's very happy with that and to get it to this point ahead of group stage European football. Um, I think probably Mark Van Bommel will will you know be be happy with the point. Antwerp should be happy with that because like a number of teams, they they've got an incredible schedule of fixtures kind of coming up and um, you know that I think it's important that they, they, they enjoy themselves and a hard one point in a game like this against a side that you know they're going to see as, as kind of title challengers to, to, to their own crown at this stage of the season uh, could could yet turn out to be a little bit more important than than we think we'll just need to see Yep, uh, Bouté with, with a, uh, a rare mistake on that first uh, penalty of course as well and also still, well, weird that uh, that um, Koulibaly actually did not get any red card for that because he it was a goal mouth chance. <laughs> but uh, also the Bolterberg, I believe it was, uh, the referee later on after the game has admitted that he should have given a red there. And that could have been uh, very, well, important throughout the whole game, of course, if that's really 90 minutes, uh, more than 90 minutes even, uh, that you would have, uh, have to play with against uh, a man, uh, well, with a man down respectively, or a man more. Um, yeah. But um, our, apart from that, um, yeah, Vines injuring himself with that uh, well, brilliant goal, uh, uh, equalizer, a uh, first equalizer, no, the equalizer. Yeah, that 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 was, uh, yeah, that's too bad for him, to be honest, really, um, himself. That's scary. And that's, that's uh, yeah, that's... Uh, that made this Randall transfer possible, I suppose you could say, or I'm not sure if it would otherwise have happened, but this made it even more um, well uh, needed that uh, that they got a left back, and um, yeah, they they got Randall from Ajax, the club they 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 sold, sold uh, Avila to, and in my mind, that's uh, going to be an upgrade 
although at uh, well he was really good at at AZ Alkmaar that's at Ajax it never really he, he really never really came true um which is already an understatement still I think from how uh well not great he has been there but if he can find anything near his uh, uh former levels um then then he definitely should be an upgrade to, uh, in comparison to to Avila and for Union, then yeah, two penalties again, six out of their ten goals uh, so far have come from penalties. Uh, that's also how how <laughs> I believe three out of five uh, of Ekert Ayensa's goals as well, if I'm not mistaken. Um, well, can't say anything to it too much because I think if most of them at least were were like very clear cut ones um, and. Um, yeah, uh, the, the the pressing on Antwerp on that in that first half actually w- w- was was really impressive um, as well. So that they they really impressed me there. Um, yeah, there was a bit of a drop off after a while, of course, but that that's that's normal. But throughout the whole game, yeah, they they could have won it as well. But um, yeah, well, a draw. I guess both teams can live with that at the moment, uh, at this moment in time in the league um, as well with a busy European schedule ahead and uh, already uh, a few games in Europe um, yeah, just played uh, behind the belt as well. Yeah, no, definitely. Um, while we've been talking, Kortrijk have signed a centre-back. Um, big, big, Whoa, stop the pace. <laughs> 34-year-old Craig Cathcart is joining. Um, he's one of those ones that I just couldn't believe he was still playing for Watford. Like, do you know what I mean? He was one of those kept looking like, he's still playing. Uh, not his first time in Belgium, though, guys. He did play 13 games for Antwerp Ooh. back in the day uh, when he was uh, at Manchester United. I mean, he's an experienced player, played at a very high level, uh, played internationally for Northern Ireland as well. I think it makes sense. He's a free agent. I think it's a, a decent signing for Kortrijk. An experienced head at the back will definitely do them um, do them good, I think. So, yeah. He's coming back for the beer, guys. <laughs> it's the beer. <laughs> I wonder if he was even old enough to drink back then. Um, this is like 2000s when he was playing there. So, yeah, welcome Craig Cathcart to the league. Uh, good luck in court. Like, um, Joris, we're going to have to talk about this game, Candlelit game. Uh, you're going to have to talk about it first. <laughs> I think over Scott will give you the kind of the right to go first. I'll just quickly run through the ridiculousness that was this one. Eight minutes in, Christopher Von Subar, um what I thought was a pretty decent kind of show of strength to push Leone off the ball. Um, referee calls it a foul. On reflection, his hand is a little bit high, so it probably could be could be given that. Um, he picks up the ball to kind of protest with the referee. Vertonghen just grabs him round the round the neck, <laughs> like um, wrestles it. Not our oh, wrestles him, kind of like yeah, wrestles the tries to wrestle the ball off of him. Obviously. Bar doesn't like being grabbed around the neck, so those two have a little bit of bit of words. Both of them get booked. Um, yeah, I'd, I think it's a little bit unfair that Bar got booked for, for, for Tongan basically manhandling him. I thought that was even more unfair six minutes later when he gets sent off picking up his second yellow um, after I think it was a foul on on Thomas Delaney. Uh, so that just kind of killed killed the game. Whoa, I thought it was going to kill the game because I thought oh, at that point, Anderlecht's going to have all the ball and they're going to be fine. But Genk completely dominated this first half, uh, even with 10 men. Galazzo in the midfield was just picking up the ball all the time. Like Anderlecht would clear, he'd pick it up and they'd start like kind of recycle the play and go again, go again. But they just couldn't find the back of the net. In the 60, 
ninth minute, I believe it is, uh, 68-69, Francis Amuzi comes on for Kasper Dolberg. His basically first touch is to cut inside and smash the ball into the back of the net to make it 1-0 to Anderlecht. That's how it stays for the majority of the game. By this point, everyone, almost everyone has been booked. Um, pretty much almost everyone from Anderlecht has definitely been booked, but they they survived without getting anyone sent off. I, I was certain this game was going to end up 10-10, but it did end up 1-1. <laughs> um, I have to say myself, I think Genk had a, a ball into the box that came to the back post and someone just completely missed it in the 94th, 95th minute. And they always say you get one more chance. And I was like, that's Genk's one more chance. I'm going to switch over towards St. Tudor against Charleroi. Literally a second later, I get a notification on my phone to say that Genk have scored. Uh, awful defending. Well, <laughs> no, yeah, teacher. Exactly. exactly. Maybe, but I don't know, you actually can thank me. Maybe it was a lucky charm. Uh, Daniel Munoz gets the ball all the way to the back post where Tolu knocks it in. Not to be forgotten that Tolu was on his way to joining Anderlecht, apparently, uh, before he then ditched them to sign for Genk. So that would have really rubbed it in for Anderlecht. I know a couple of Anderlecht fans were just like, I can't believe we've lost this game with 10 men. Lots of people as well. I think the newspapers <laughs> saying like, yeah, this kind of is what we thought Anderlecht were. They won all those games, but this was the, the big test and they kind of failed it in many of the kind of the news blad, the, the het last the news kind of, kind of eyes. But... Joris, I know you've probably got some stuff to say about the ridiculousness that was this game, but you got got a draw in the end, but flipping heck, it was a ridiculous one. Yeah, that that was a weird game. Well, in well, result wise, we can never say if the referee killed the game with that uh, with that red card, but um, well, he definitely did kill the game in the the quality of the game. And well, I to be to be fair to him, he has been relatively consistent. In in uh in in ge- handing out cards afterwards. On the other hand, he also in some phases I felt he was actually compensating uh, a bit. Uh, that that there things could have gone a bit more Andre's way. That that if that would not have happened, that that, that would not have uh, well they they would not have gotten uh, they might have gotten something or would not have gotten something against them. But um, yeah, it was it was a bit of a well a strange one uh, for sure. And yeah, it, it really killed. That the game. I also feel like which I had. It, it, that's what I can't say now, of course. But like I feel like Hink would have won if they would have stayed with eleven against eleven as well. On the other hand, it set up uh, a kind of some atmosphere um, as well, both on and off the pitch. Um, well, which did not make for the the the, the nicest of games, but for a, a feisty game for sure. Um, not necessarily my type of game either, but. Maybe this is exactly what he needed as well now. Um, well, getting that that European qualification uh, after well too much time, um, and then scoring in the final <laughs> minutes as well. Uh, be ha- having that feeling of the referee against you, um, um, yeah, and and then like bouncing back uh, in front of a full stadium, sold out, almost sold out or even completely sold out stadium. Yeah, that that might be just the fire that was needed. Um, of course, it's only a point, but also it's the first home goal actually that they scored in the league this season. In the uh, that it had to come in the ninety seventh minute, I believe. Uh, in after already having played uh, around two hundred fifty minutes in that full week, and also being the first uh, goal in that week actually as well that did not come from the penalty spot. Um, yeah, that that was quite remarkable and and quite. Well, 
it gave a good vibe after all i guess you could say um, this is of course still a hope uh, from my side and from other hank fan sites as well i guess that this was indeed like a, a game you don't get the three points but it could be pr- uh, crucial for for yeah yeah binding with the the binding with the fans again and um, yeah, getting getting them back on your sides uh, because the yeah the, the start has been missed in the league. No no, uh, no need to sugarcoat that, but um, it it could have been worse as well. Other top teams have are still in the neighborhood as well. It's not that they're uh, so far behind, so there's still time to pick it up. Uh, it's not going to be easy. The first, next game is already uh, away at Union, I believe, and there's another away game against Brugge with an away no the home game against Fiorentina, I believe as well. Uh, somewhere so there's this busy and then difficult month of september coming fixture rise um but um at least um the main thing for me actually was more the 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 way they played um there were still uh it still could be better of course and it can it's yeah of course obviously if you're playing again with a man down it 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 is going to be difficult to create a lot but um nonetheless they they actually performed really well against a side that was um, at least full in confidence because of the, the four wins in a row uh, that they had before this game. Um, yeah, and um, yeah, I also feel like only an 18-year-old would have gotten this, uh, uh, re- 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 these two yellow cards, a bit like Elkanus had last season against uh, Mechelen as well, I guess, that were also did not see. If they do things consistently, I can maybe get it, uh, but... Um, on the other hand, yeah, that that first one, ah, that that might be a warning, maybe, but nothing else. The second one I can get, uh, that 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 you can give, and but the, the, then counting, summing them up, and being so quick about the decision as well, yeah, it 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 felt a bit weird, but um, yeah, it didn't uh, matter in the end uh, for the um, well for the way the game was going. Yeah, Anderlecht on the other hand. So they did not get that fifth win in a row, even though it looked like that. Vertongen did not make any friends in 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 Genk, and also in in like based on the on the media, at least not in the in the Belgian <laughs> media in the, in the footballing world in general, I suppose as well. But also, yeah, their level was actually really a bit worrying, I guess, uh, especially against Denman. It's not the easiest thing to do. Uh, we all know that uh, Hink is one of the teams that has seen that in the past few seasons a lot, uh, a lot as well themselves. Uh, it's not always easy, but to the, it, that's still different than really being dominated as in the first half. Second half, like I was fearing there was a bit of a drop-off. The game was more even, but well, without creating much uh, from Anderlecht's side as well. Yeah, it was very frustrating to see Amuzu scoring after like indeed two touches and with a yeah, it was just a really, it was a screamer, just, uh, yeah, just like a thing he actually never does, uh, well, let's hope for Anderlecht that he, that he does it with, that he, that he can do it a bit more often as well, but uh, yeah, that, that was a really good goal, but and then then I really felt, okay, yeah, there's now probably the it, it really is broken. This game, yeah, we can't blame the Hink players for that. But after so many minutes, uh, I think in that in that well four day packed in those four days, uh, getting down to ten men, being behind, being brave, but then coming behind, uh, getting behind. Yeah, that's um, 
that that I felt that was a drop too much. There was one big chance for for Vasquez as well, uh, where Van de Voort had a brilliant save. Um, but then you would think uh, Andrit could pull it over the line, but uh, that was um, well, they they didn't didn't count on Munoz, I guess, as well. Uh, that uh, in the 95th minute, then like after having played all the other minutes, that one of the few players I believe that was still on the pitch from Genk's side as well that played the full games uh, in this time span, getting the ball back, uh, recuperating it, and then starting the attack, and then okay, I, with the cross maybe there's a bit of luck. I think it was a bit of a blind cross, but nonetheless, uh, being able to get it there, yeah, uh, to the back post where Toto really had it, had only to nod it in. Um, yeah, that that was that was a, a brilliant feeling uh, for for everyone involved as well for many reasons that I already talked a bit a lot about here as well. I guess, um, and I agree with uh, Galarza being yeah really good uh, in this game, and you could also see that Hannon being Hannon being back up from injury that might have hurt Schenk as well. Um, a bit more than than you would expect in the past month as well. Um, so that's an, another plus for Hink, of course, that, uh, that that they are back. Well, the the referee in question in this game uh, was, of course, Bram van Driesch, and um, we were kind of aware when this game was kind of ongoing that it was getting a bit card happy. And I had a quick look during the game at some of Bram van Driesch's numbers and. Bram's average yellow card rate across about 140, I think, something-ish um, Pro League games is about four, four and a half yellows. He comes in with this game and there are nine yellows, including the red cards. So, he, you know, he more than doubled his own card average, which I think probably tells us two things. Either it was a particularly vicious game, which I don't think it was really. It was it was feisty, as it should be, uh, with these two big teams. Or Bram probably didn't have the greatest game in the world and arguably lost control over it. I'll, I'll let you listeners decide over what which one you think it is. Uh, but that 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 was quite interesting to me, and I just had to go and check it because, you know, Joris was, when the first yellow card came out, you know, um, in fact, I think it was even before uh, Bozuba's uh, red, the second one, um, Joris was like, whoa, this is this is way too early. And it just, you know, there was a pattern getting set that, that yeah, well, it wasn't good. The other thing that was interesting about this game was uh, Genk's director of football, Dimitri Deconde, immediately uh, making uh, or trying to make contact with Jan Vertonghen after the game to confront him around the circumstances that, that led to the red card. They had a little confrontation after at the end of the game that I thought was kind of quite interesting as well. But yeah, you guys have uh, covered the actual game itself really nicely. Yeah, definitely a feisty one. Uh, looking forward to the return fixture of that later in the year final game of the weekend as i said i switched over to this one a little bit too early by the look of it uh was charlois against st luden uh well yeah once again finkball on full display uh fatty kaya was dropped to the bench yourself with barnes was given the striking start for st truden but it's kind of the same old story ito was fantastic in this he just yeah kept finding all the space and their kind of playing at the back was so reliant on him just kind of dropping in and out of positions to pick up the ball. Uh, he looked really, really good. Charlois, yeah, they, they looked all right. Um, they started reasonably well quite early, forcing a couple of decent saves from Suzuki, a couple where they really, really should have done better and should have found the back of the net. Um, St. Truden thought they should have had a penalty in the second half uh, when Eric Bocat is running down the wing, cuts inside of Damian Mark, who probably handballs it, and then that head, that you know, <laughs> I don't know how to describe it, but as he's on the floor, kind of like leans over to try and 
makes your bokat can't run any further uh but it might have been on the edge of the box so maybe they kind of got away with it but Charleroi then went down the other end and took the lead uh Ode de Bag with a nice finish from a cross from I can't remember uh, it was a Gelge. uh really nice cross from him uh de Bag yeah took it into the back of the net to make it one nil however St Tudor were then finally given a penalty when I think this time it was Mark just absolutely booted um might have been Delorg <laughs> or Stoikers, one of those guys like really nice play on the edge of the box from St Tudor uh, one of those young midfielders picks it up. He runs in and Mark just absolutely boots him. Uh, referee doesn't give it initially again. I was like, what is going on? That's like such an obvious penalty. They finally go to VAR and it was obvious it was going to get overturned and be given. Uh, Coiter steps up, smashes it in. I think I said to you guys, this might go into row Z. Uh, and I was pretty anticipating it might because <laughs> I knew he was just going to leather it. Uh, but he leathered it into the back of the net pass to have coffee. Dying minutes of this one and St. Tudor think they get another penalty when there's a foul really close on the edge of the box. Referee initially gives a penalty. VR overturns it to be just outside the box. For the resulting free kick, Charleroi are then like, win the ball back because of a terrible free kick from them. And yeah, so poor uh, Fedek Ananu, he's come on uh, just recovering from a, an injury, comes on and he's the ball's picked up by Debag, who takes such a heavy touch. And you can, you can literally see Ananu, it's just like... He's like, should I go or should I hold back? Should I go, should I hold back? Because the touch is so bad. He's obviously only got a second to make the decision. Decides to go. Zabag puts it past him and he's like, he's last man on the halfway line. Does what he has to do for the team, which is just completely take him out. <laughs> Gets himself straight red card sent off, which, I mean, it was an obvious red card, but he just kind of had to do it. Um, and that's basically how this one finished. It finishes 1-1. St. Juden still can't score, but they can still play lovely football. Charleroi, don't play as nice football, just about scored uh, in this one, but they did have a couple more chances. Suzuki made a couple of decent saves, but his passing out from the back is a little bit suspect. So that's definitely one thing to watch. And I think he's going to get pressed a lot in this league once people work that out. St. Trudeau might be signing Benito Raman. That's one that they're kind of pursuing at the moment. Um, that might, by the time this episode comes out, that might be official. It might not have happened. It's kind of, I think it's 50 50, maybe 75. Um, 25 who knows at the moment but I think guys he could make a difference to this side yes he's not the best finisher in the world but he's better than what they've got at the moment and I think put him in there and if I'm him I'm looking at it and thinking I could score a a fair amount of goals with this side but 1-1 was probably a fair result in the end um even it kind of yeah all really exploded into life in terms of goals and action in the last 12 or so minutes yeah just just on Raman actually I think you know I can understand why his preference is for St Truden as opposed to Cortrike who were interested because St Truden have been one of the best sides to watch uh, in terms of the quality of their football uh, so far this season and I think he's looking at that and going do you know what I'm going to get chances playing in that side and that's what I want obviously Uh, so that makes complete sense and I think Anderlecht are now kind of you know leaning towards St Truden because he's indicated that's his preference and obviously Obviously, they want them out the door, to be blunt. So, you know, they're going to try and accommodate that. That, That's what seems to be happening this evening. Um, This game actually featured um, what, for me, was kind of moment of the weekend. And that was just after the final whistle. Um, Charlois owner and and, uh, managing director, Mehdi Bayat, decided to come on to the pitch, gather the players and the coaches together and um, give them a motivational pep talk uh, in front of the cameras. 
so of course, you know, this is all filmed and, you know, Medi's aware of this, wants the world to see it, of course. Um, you know, the entire uh, playing staff, the coaches are there in a huddle and, you know, he's talking about continuing to work hard and things will change and believing in the players now. He doesn't want the players to moan and to kind of keep going despite the sluggish start and stuff. And I was watching this and I, I, I was amazed on one hand um, that he decided to do it in the first place because you know owners owners giving talks like that are are a bit of a no no to be honest even if they are done in private in a dressing room they are frowned upon for very obvious reasons it's entirely different I think if someone like that comes in in private and informally says you know we're right behind you lads it's entirely different when the owner behaves as if they are they are the T one um, and then it goes to another level again uh, into the realms of of just bizarreness to me when, when he deliberately chooses to do it in front of the cameras where the entire thing is picked up. The really interesting thing was actually Felix Mazu's face. Um, he looked particularly annoyed, I thought. Um, he looked like he was sitting through a bit of a funeral mass, actually, more than anything else, um, which, which kind of told me he was, he was pretty unhappy with that. So I, I, I thought, you know, there were a number of cardinal rules there that made by it and lines that he stepped over, um, which, which seemed to have been glossed over in the media this week. But that, that was my moment of the weekend because I thought that was pretty wild stuff. I don't know what you guys made of it. Uh, yeah, much like most of this game, I unfortunately did not pick up that much uh, about it uh, as, uh, as my Henk was playing as well for most of this game, of course. But um, yeah, um, Charleroi still winless, of course, as well, uh, and they missed plenty of chances uh, in this uh, in this game as well. Uh, but uh, yeah, missing doing that that does certainly does not help. Again, a bit like similar to their uh, Walloon rivals, Standard. Uh, yeah, the, the you need to score if you want to win, of course, as well. And um, that's four draws uh, draws now after six games already. So that's. Um, yeah, that's also a, a, a decent amount there, and uh, one or two goals uh, can make a difference in that, you can see. And the same you can actually say for Sinterada, they've been playing well, but now they're also winless in four after two wins, one nil wins against Portek and Standard. Um, yeah, so th- these are actually wins that are logical if you look at it now. Um, and in the, in the one game they've scored more than uh, than one goal uh, away at Hint, they probably should have scored even more as well. Um, I mean, I believe like that's now one penalty goal from Koita, one distance shot from distance from Koita as well among those goals. So there's not they don't have many goals that they play out that they have uh, play out from the from the from open play. As well, yeah, there was also a goal on at least one goal on a on a set piece, uh, on an additional set piece as well, which of course in itself, um, it, it, there's nothing wrong with that. But yeah, you should also add uh, some played out uh, as well uh, amongst your goals uh, to to be a bit sustainable, um, I suppose. Um, but yeah, so that are, that are my few takes I have on this game. But I have to admit, I, I really did not see much of this. Uh, but uh, yeah, a one-one draw, and um, yeah, Sharawa still being one of those four teams without a win. Yep, and now they get to enjoy the international break like the rest of us and mull over what they need to do to get that win. Um, it's, yeah, it's a strange situation, but at least with four of them in there, it's not like anyone's kind of getting too far ahead or too far behind at the moment. There still is plenty of time. We go to the challenger. Pro League, Scott. One side 
remains unbeaten. And another side actually did something we quite like, which is they made their big announcement just before we started recording, so we can actually talk about it and not speculate about it. <laughs> yep, Ben's talking about uh, Zolta Varagam there, so thanks to the uh, the comms team at Zolta uh, for confirming the big news this evening, which we'll, which we'll bring up in a second. Uh, yeah, we've reached uh, match day four in the, the Challenger Pro League, so just to round up the scores from this past weekend, Lommel maintained, as Ben was saying, their, their 100% record winning four out of four. They won 2-1. Um, at Liers, a fixture that we took in actually uh, last October when we were in Belgium. Uh, Club Next uh, played out a two-all draw with Patro Eisden, who picked up um, Steph Peters a few days ago, a bit of a coup for them. Uh, really good player, got lots to offer, bit of a surprise that he's gone to Patro, uh, but he's chosen to go there. They've they've signed him on a, on a four-year deal. Uh, Beveren managed to get their, their first win of the season. Uh, they won 2-0 at home against SL16. Denza picked up three points, beating RFC Liège 3-1 at home. Beershot won 2-1 against Franck Baran. Um, in a game that I, I saw a bit of that game actually and one of the things that struck me about it uh, kind of quickly guys was how physical um, Frank Baran are a um, lot of big boys um, in that side they, they're going to be quite a difficult side to, to play against I think um, from, from what I've seen of them so far um, Oostend not only managed to score their first goal of the season but they picked up their first point they got a one-all draw at home against Sarang Anderlecht Futures uh, drew one all with Jong Genk and Zolta Varagim drew one apiece with, with Dender. The big news, as, as Ben was alluding to, uh, was confirmed this evening. Zolta Varagim have decided to remove Frederick Dollander as T1, although he will be staying at the club. Um, and they've decided to bring in uh, Vincent Everard, who everyone will remember, who was up until very recently, Molenbeek's T1. Um, so Zolta Varagam, I think, um, looked like the first side this season to, to be hitting the panic button, guys. But it might be a good time with the international break coming, of course, as well, if you want to hit the button. I, I, I always feel like this would be a moment, even though this is really early in the season, of course. I would have expected it rather at the next international break maybe but um yeah no, nonetheless they they get a manager that knows how to win this league of course yeah yeah it's, it's such an interesting appointment i mean news of this only kind of broke uh, late this afternoon today um and it took a couple of hours for it for it to be kind of confirmed uh, just just a, ve- a very interesting story on, on lots of levels which we'll hear a little bit more about i think so in terms of the big picture, as Ben was saying, Lommel stay top. They're maintaining their, their 100% uh, record. Oostend are, are still bottom, but obviously they've, they've picked up their first points and, and scored their first goal, as I was saying. And another little bit of news that was confirmed this evening, uh, Beveren have signed 21-year-old Georgian attacking midfielder Jorge Moist Shrapashvili. And yes, I have been practising that. Uh, what a brilliant surname that is. And he's come in from uh, Dynamo Tbilisi. I was going to say, easy for you to say that one. Um <laughs> The yes, have also made a couple of signs, haven't they? They've signed Stan Van Dessel and Victor Boone is yep. joining from Union. So they continue to just kind of pick up these fringe uh, pro league players. Um, so I think those two should be some decent signings as well. Yeah, I think that probably just about does it for this week. We will discuss in more detail the kind of the European groups and what we think about those. But everyone's in. 
to a competition in some form or other. Antwerp, obviously, in to the Champions League, where they've got Barcelona, Porto and Shakhtar Donetsk. So a nice tasty group for them. Union, Saint-Germain, they're going to get the McAllister derby. Uh, they got Liverpool, Lask and Toulouse. So we'll get to see Aaron Donham again. Uh, in to the Conference League we go. Um, Ghent got a very nice draw. Uh, they should be really, really happy with what they got. They got Radovic, uh from Iceland, Maccabi Tel Aviv and Zoya Luhansk from Ukraine. Um, Club Bruges got, I think, one of the tougher ones in Besiktas. Boda Glimt, who are very, very good at home. And then Lugano, who we saw in uh, qualification against Union. And then Genk got, yeah, a pretty, pretty kind of mid one. I guess Fiorentina, obviously the standout, Ferenc Vars, not been great during qualification themselves, but we'll see what they kind of turn up at in the group stages. And then Kukariki as well uh, in their group. So another kind of team we haven't seen before that we get to see. But yeah, lots of European football to look forward to. Before the group stages, we'll obviously have a bigger chat about kind of what we think might happen because who knows what might have happened by then in terms of players that have signed and stuff like that and form that the sides are going into it in. But yeah. the, one, the one Belgian team I, I, I still don't really want to see are coming to my city as well. <laughs> that, that's, <also laughs> that, that's my main takeaway. <laughs> yeah, Joris gets to see Antwerp in his city. So it's like a nice little painful reminder of everything that happened last year. He just can't <laughs> escape it as much as he wants to try. Um, but yeah, that basically does it for this pre-international break podcast. Uh, we won't be doing one during the international break. We'll resume again after the next round of fixtures have come. So enjoy your international break, if that's what you're into. If you're not into it, maybe, I don't know, find some other things to watch. There's always other sport on that you can indulge in before we get back to the domestic stuff. But Scott and yours, as always, it's been a pleasure sharing this time with you. It has indeed. Uh, Enjoy the international break as much as you can, everybody. And uh, we'll see you in a couple of weeks. Likewise, and um, well, yeah, we'll be back sooner than you think. Exactly. Uh, but as a per usual, if you like what we do, please do leave us a review on your podcast app of choice. You can also hit us up with any listener questions during this international break. Uh, let us know if you want us to answer them during a podcast or just yeah directly to you. We can do that. Um, yeah, as always, thank you very much for listening, and we'll speak to you soon on another episode of the Belgian Football Podcast.